Our second reading comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the lands of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the golden rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside the way that I have commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of the calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? with great power and with mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he planned to bring on his people. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. When I was growing up, at least through high school, I was a pretty good kid. It worries me that you chuckle. But I did get into trouble. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. I just did stupid teenage stuff. I would stay out too late. I would do something stupid. And I could tell how much I was trouble by the way my parents reacted. 
And there were two things that they would say that I knew I was in a lot of trouble. I would come home and they would say, I hope you had fun. This was often when I was late or I went somewhere I wasn't supposed to and I knew that the next phrase was going to be because that's the last time you're doing that for a while. But the other one, the one saved for when I did something especially stupid was what were you thinking? I, I see you guys have the same parents I do. It's a, you know, the time that the garage door stalled and I didn't look to see that it stalled and backed right through it in mom and dad's minivan. What were you thinking? The time I decided the giant tinker toys would be a great baseball and bat in the playroom in the basement and it went right into the drywall. What were you thinking? And I feel like that's a question that God could ask the Israelites in today's passage. Israelites, what were you thinking? Because here the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They're forced into hard labor. This wasn't generations ago. This wasn't years ago. This was months ago. And God hears their cries and God sends all sorts of plagues upon the Egyptian to show God's power. And then God leads them out of slavery. God leads them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And there, even though they're in the desert, God provides quail and manna and water. And they are not hungry or they're not thirsty. And after three months, only three months, they arrive at Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain to talk with God. And he stays and he stays. And he's gone for 40 days. So we're looking at a total of maybe four months since all the miraculous things that happened in Egypt. But the Israelites are quick to replace Moses. They're quick to replace God. There's a silence. There's a void. And they cannot avoid it. They have to fill it. And so they go to Aaron, Moses' second in command. And they say, we need a new God. So he takes all the earrings and all the jewelry they have and melts it down and creates a calf and says, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And they had a festival and they worshipped it. And God was furious. I love the the interplay of the language between God and Moses. When God first starts talking to Moses, he says, your people who you brought out of Egypt. It reminds me of when Hannah does something terrible and I look at Heather and said, do you know what your daughter did? At that moment, I'm not taking claim. it's, It's her daughter. And that's what God's doing to Moses. These are your people. And Moses comes back and says, your people the people you brought out of Egypt. And it ends with God saying, my people. I will not take action against my people. It's easy to ask the Israelites what they were thinking. After all, here's this mighty, wonderful God that brought them out of Egypt, that provided for them miraculously, and set plague after plague on their oppressors. On the other hand, they've only been in the desert for three months, and then their leader disappears for 40 days. For over a quarter of the time that they've been out of captivity, they don't hear from God, they don't hear from God's mouthpiece and Moses. And we have to remember, these are people that were enslaved. They were used to being told what to do. 
how to act. Take that away, and they were without a rudder. They were lost at sea. These were people that left everything they knew when they escaped slavery. Yes, it was terrible conditions, but it was what they knew. So, of course, they begin to question. They begin to wonder. They sought to fill that silence, that void. How often do we do that in our lives? How often do we hear the silence of God not being there or are perceiving God not to be there? How often do we try to take actions into our own hands? Now, I'm willing to bet that none of you have ever taken jewelry, melted it down, and created a golden calf to worship. I feel pretty safe in making that bet. But that doesn't mean there's not idolatry in our life. When we think of idols, we might think of the recently canceled show American Idol. We might think of the show Survivor, where they have immunity idols. In fact, several seasons ago, there was a woman whose tribe won the immunity idol. And if you're not familiar with Survivor, this is a very good thing. It keeps your tribe together for another episode. But she threw the biggest fit because she didn't want this thing in her, her camp because it was called an idol. So we think of that. But what does idolatry really look like for us? I think idolatry is anything we try to replace God with. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. It takes priority over God. Augustine once said that idolatry is worshiping anything that we should use and using anything that we should worship. And I think for us, there are many things we could point at for idolatry. I think money, wealth, Finances, these are things that we could look at as idolatry. So many of us put building up our savings account, put uh, the, the seeking wealth, seeking uh, money above all else. And it's easy to justify we've got bills to pay, we've got student loans to pay off, we've got medical bills, we've got uh, you know, college to save for, whatever it might be. I think it's no accident that when they cre- the Israelites created this idol, they created it out of molten gold, out of jewelry, out of something valuable. Billy Graham once said, you show me a checkbook and I will show you a theological document. I will show you exactly what it is that you worship. I think something else that we fall prey to putting up as an idol is power. Or authority. I was in a discussion this week during the worship team meeting and someone said, what was Aaron thinking? Aaron, who was Moses' second-hand man, why would he sell out the Israelites like that? And part of me wonder if he didn't think, this is my chance. Here I could be the number one guy. I could be the leader. I could be the spiritual advisor. I could create God and provide access to God. So he sought power. He sought authority. We all go through times in our lives when we feel like God isn't there. We go through times when it's painful, when we feel the absence of God. 
And the question becomes, what do we try to fill that silence with? Alcohol? Drugs? Celebrities? Entertainment? Sports? Our families? Our children? The list goes on and on. There's so many things that we try to replace God with, that we try to put in priority over God. It's easy to ask the Israelites what they were thinking. Just exasperated. You saw God at work. God freed you. What were you thinking trying to replace God? But when we think about it, we're really not that different. God freed the Israelites from slavery. God freed us from sin. But so often we too forget what God has done with us. What God has done for us. We try to ignore God's presence. We hear the silence. We feel the emptiness. And we automatically assume that God's not there. That God's not the problem. That God's the problem, not that we're the problem. And so we try to fill that void. We build up an idol to worship, to follow, to serve. I think when you boil it all down, in our modern society, Idolatry is the me-first attitude that is so prevalent in our society. That means there's nothing but leftovers for God. And I want to make it very clear, when I talk about putting God first, I'm not talking about the church, although obviously I think that the church should be a high priority. I'm talking about your relationship with God. You're following Christ. You're serving the God who created us. Who redeemed us. Who called us as God's people. We worship an ever-present God. And there are times when it might feel like God's not there. And in those times of silence, we need to remember that it was in the silence, in the still whisper of the wind, that God called to Elijah. That God is present in the tornadoes, in the flames of the burning bush, and also in the still whisper in the wind, in the silence, in those empty moments. God is all present, God is all loving. God is all good. And we should make God the first priority in our life. We should give to God of the first fruits of all we do. And all else should come second. Amen.